Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into a jam-packed edition of the Hawk Central Radio Hour here on 106.3 KXNO. A usual 6 to 7 p.m. Wednesday uh, show tonight for you guys. I'm your host, Chad Lysico of the Des Moines Register, as always. And in tonight's show, we are going to talk about rosters, roster building, roster retention, roster acquisition. Uh, This is kind of that time of year where Iowa coaches in not only football, but basketball uh, on the men's and women's side are trying to put themselves into the best position possible for the upcoming fall and winter. The uh, opening of the uh, football portal period uh, starts Saturday, so there's a lot of pressing needs uh, in that sport as well. We will get to football later in the show, but for the first time in a long time, Kennington Smith, we are going to lead off tonight's show with men's basketball. Uh, the Hawkeyes this week picked up a big commitment in Ben Cricky of Valparaiso. He was a much needed six foot nine, two hundred and thirty five pound post uh, acquisition. He led the MVC in scoring at nineteen point four points per game. Looks like a pretty good player, a lefty. Kennington, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, you wrote the story on on Cricky's commitment earlier this week. Uh, what is Iowa getting in Ben Cricky? Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for having me, um, you know, for the warm welcome. And as far as Cricky, I mean, they're just getting a high IQ, high level offensive player. I think it's important to note that Valparaiso was not a great team this year, and he was the number one option on opposing teams scouting report. And he still led the conference in points that should let you know the level of scoring prowess that he has that he was the top player on a team that didn't have very many other offensive options and he still dominated the league like he did I mean he can score in a variety of ways Um, rim running pick and rolls um, in the post really good touch around the rim he does have the ability to knock down spot up shots So he's not going to be a uh, kind of off the dribble shot creator, but if there are situations where he's going to be able to play in space in Iowa system and he is open in the mid range or maybe even beyond the three point line, you can rely on him to knock down a jumper. Um, I think, you know, defensively rebounding wise, he's not um, super strong in those areas. He's probably, you know, average rebounder, average defender, but as far as an offensive fit, I mean, this is exactly the type of um, player that can thrive in Fran McCaffrey's system from the post. Yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, his rebounding numbers are, are decent. They're okay, 5.9 per game, but not huge. And I think that's that's probably the part where folks, uh, you know, rolled their eyes a little bit when you're talking. They're not, you know, maybe not a great defensive player. I guess we'll see uh, on that front. But from the little film I saw, I liked what he's, you know, he shows like where he can catch and shoot, you know, like a 15 footer. Um, Pretty routinely, and uh, I would say, you know, there's been some comparisons I've seen out there already to Philip Robracha. Obviously, you know, he's going to probably be playing that position for the Hawkeyes, similar size as Philip. You know, a little, a little bit more offensive minded, just like Philip. But uh, do you think that's a fair comparison? I guess, uh, in, in how he's going to fit for the Hawkeyes this year. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's comparable. I think, you know similar size, like you said, um, Cricky's probably a little bit heavier 
Um, so that'll probably be the, the main difference, but I definitely think you'll see a lot more willingness from him to shoot from the mid range in the perimeter than we saw from Philip who kind of operated around the post, but it's also, you know, we are comparing this to Philip took a huge step rebounding the ball this year. And that was a really big part of Iowa's True. success. So you would hope that Cricky a little bit bigger can improve his strength, getting into, um, you know, power level program, really getting into, um, you know, Iowa's routine that he'll be able to improve his strength and that will translate to um, improve rebounding as well. But, you know, he's not going to be the number one option on Iowa's team, but if he can score at the same efficiency that he has with the opportunities that he's given and improve his rebounding, then you have to feel really good about this addition. Yeah, one thing I really like about his um, his game or whatever is uh, – He's an 80.7% career free throw shooter. That's a really high number for a big man. And, and you look at his year-by-year uh, performances, it's like 79, 79, 84, 80. I mean, he's he's very consistent from the foul line. I think that's so important in what Iowa wants to do, you know, draw fouls, get to the line, that type of thing. And he averages, you know, two-plus two assists per game. At least he did last year for Valpo. Uh, again, uh, not a good team. Uh, probably, um, you know, good for him to move on. He only has one year, so he's played f- a full four in college. I think he's up to like you know, sixteen hundred plus points. So he's probably going to cross, you know, the two thousand point mark in his career while at Iowa. So uh, definitely a veteran player gives Iowa a veteran presence. Kind of like it enjoyed last year with uh, Philip and Connor McCaffrey. Uh, but now, you know, NIL I think played a big factor for Cricky. I mean. Um, uh, you know, the head of the the swarm, you know, pointed out on, on the message boards that this was their number one target uh, in the portal. So obviously, you know, a, a, a good acquisition, I guess, on that front for the Hawkeyes. But uh, we need, you know, we need to see more right uh, from this team. I think I think there's still a gap at kind of that power forward position. Obviously, Chris Murray vacates a huge Spot there, Kennington, uh, which we probably should mention. He declared for the NBA draft last week. We'll get to that at some point here. But, uh, you know, what's next? I think, uh, you know, still need a four, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, BJ Mack, who's been um, a priority target from the beginning, is going to take his visit to Iowa soon. I was battling, you know, several SEC teams for his commitment. But you are right. There is, there's a whole in Iowa's lineup. And it's a, a matter of, you know, kind of how do the pieces that they have fit? I think the power forward spot is, um, you know, the question mark that you're talking about. If you're going to, you know, play Desante Bowen at the one, Perkins at the two, then who's going to play the three? Is it going to be Patrick McCaffrey, Peyton Sanford? Then who's going to play the four? Is Patrick going to be strong enough and a willing enough rebounder to play that four spot? Because the last two fours that they've had, Keegan and Chris Murray, were more than willing rebounders, the team's leading rebounders the, the last two years. So you need that physical presence at that four spot as Iowa's been constructed the last few years. Um, you know, if you play Perkins at the one, Sanford at the two, you play Patrick at three, you still need a four if Cricky's going to play the five. So there is kind of that um, that gap in that front court. Owen Freeman is going to come in with high expectations, but you, you know, to your point, as veteran as they were last year, you'd like to add another veteran presence to that group. So there is some work for for Iowa to to do, and um, you know, BJ Mack is the the next priority guy now that they've gotten Cricky into the fold. Yeah, Mack is kind of the the one and only uh, prime target now for the Hawkeyes. Six foot eight, two fifty. 
uh, like you said, uh, visiting, uh, I think Sunday, he's coming in, he's off the heels of an Alabama visit. So, you know, he's, I always got some stiff competition there, but you know, average 16.5 as a junior, 16.6 as a senior. He's also got one year left Kennington. So, you know, let's, let's talk both scenarios here. You know, you know, pie in the sky for Iowa. They get both Mac and Cricky uh, on board. Then I think, you know, you feel like you're in a really good place uh, for next year's team, and you still have one open scholarship. Uh, you can do with it what you need. Uh, you know, someone comes open late. Uh, you know, you just bank it a little bit. Um, you know, lots of options there. So let's let's start with that scenario. If Iowa gets Mac, um, you know, that's best case scenario, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. And, you know, you get Mac if this, this one scholarship. It doesn't appear that Iowa's been super active in pursuing guards in the portal. So I think that that's an indication from Fran McCaffrey that he's confident in the guard play that he has. So I think pocketing that scholarship for, <clears throat> excuse me, for next year when you're going to have to retool the front court again because Patrick McCaffrey is going to be graduating. Cricky Mac would also be moving on from the, the program as well. You're going to have Owen Prim, you're going to have Logi Dembele, but you're going to need to continue to replenish that part of the team. So I would save the scholarship for that spot. Or if the guard play isn't at the level that is expected next year, that could also be used to go get an impact portal guard or somebody from the, the next high school class. So I think if you get Mac, you feel pretty decent about where the roster is at. I think we've spoken on this show a few times about it being a transitional year. So there needs to be some realistic expectations about the team. But I think, uh, you know, in the long run, pocketing that scholarship for, you know, the team after next year will probably be the, the play there. You're listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I am Chad Leistico, sports columnist of the Des Moines Register, talking Iowa basketball with Kennington Smith, our uh, beat reporter for the Hawkeyes based in Iowa City, Kennington. So we talked about you know, the best-case scenario of Iowa getting Cricky and Mac. Let's talk about the scenario where Iowa misses out on B.J. Mack. And uh, you know, at, this po- at that point, then, I think you know, options are starting to become limited. So they don't get... They don't get Mac, end up with Cricky and two open scholarships. Uh, where does that leave the Hawkeyes? Yeah, so just to, to start some perspective on where I was perceived at this moment, earlier today, Andy Katz via Big Ten Network released uh, a kind of a way too early power rankings of Big Ten teams, and he had Iowa ranked 13th out of 14th in the conference. Now, is mm. that too low? I think that's certainly debatable, but I think that that puts into perspective how I was being viewed right now based on their current roster. So without BJ Mack, there are a lot of questions, questions that I brought up earlier in this segment about where exactly the pieces that Iowa has right now fit into a starting lineup, what happens in the front court, how much would be expected of an Owen Freeman or Elijah Dembele as true freshmen. I think all of those things become the focus going into next season on top of the, the question marks and the, the backcourt as well. So getting Mac, I think, would ease a lot of those concerns, adding another veteran presence, another proven score. But without him, um, I think that there's a lot more doubt about Iowa's team next year. So he's obviously a huge priority target. It's critical that they wow him on this visit, mm-hmm. sell him on the fact that they develop post players and front court players very well over the last few years. The playing time, 
playing in the Big Ten, really good conference, and the chance to play some pretty high-level postseason ball as well. So Big Iowa has a lot of things to, to sell, but obviously it's going to be um, a pretty uphill task in getting them because there are some other high-level teams in the mix as well. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, obviously, if they if they miss out, then I think you're you're looking at you know you just need some development from a Desante Bowen, for example. Like if he could become a really good player, maybe move Perkins to the two, you know, and then Sanford to the three. You just you're just playing a little bit smaller in that case, like you said. Uh, you know, defense and rebounding could become an issue. Um, you know, as as often they they are for Iowa, but uh, you know it's. It, at that point, then you're just retooling, and probably the expectations are pretty low. So a lot of, <laughs> you know, a big uh, a big visit coming up for BJ Mack of Wofford. Who knew that the, the Hawkeye season would be hinging on that? But uh, <laughs> that's where we are, Kennington. Uh, let's talk about uh, Chris Murray a little bit. Uh, kind of happened after our show late last week. Uh, Chris Murray declares for the NBA draft, not coming back. Uh, he will be in the draft, Kennington. Uh, you're always plugged in on this stuff. Where where does uh, uh, what does it look like he may go at this point uh, in next year's draft or the June draft? Yeah. So right now he's a projected mid late first round pick, depending on where you look at. There's been several mock drafts that have had him in the 18 to 20 range. So early exit playoff team teams that are in the NBA playing right now, all the way towards the end of the first round, obviously those are going to be playoff teams. So I think solidly in the first round, I think there's potential for him with, really good workouts and a really good combine to rise higher, maybe even a fringe lottery type of player. Mm -hmm. I think teams perceive him as somebody who can come in and contribute immediately to the NBA game. And I think something that's important to note is that what he was expected to do at Iowa is not what he's going to be expected to do in the NBA. I think Keegan Murray is um, a really good example of somebody who was an elite three level scorer at Iowa, number one option and he goes to the Sacramento Kings, and at best, he's the third option. Most times, he's the fourth or fifth option in their, in their lineup, mainly as a, as a spot-up shooter, not having the, the ability to show the full bag of tricks just because the plays are not being drawn up for him because he's not one of their franchise players. So I think Chris Murray, with his skill set, teams will look at that and say, okay, we know he's going to be able to defend. We know he's going to be able to shoot. If we can get him into a 3-and-D role with um, a pretty good roster, we feel like he'll be a really good piece. So I think teams are high on him. And I think there's definitely going to be room for him to potentially rise in stock between now and the draft. Certainly going to be fun to watch Keegan Murray in the playoffs uh, back with the Sacramento Kings for the first time since 2006 that uh, the Kings are in the playoffs. They get the three seed Kennington against the Golden State Warriors. What a matchup. And I've seen already that the Kings are huge underdogs despite being the higher seed. So uh, what do you, you know, you're our NBA expert here. What do you, let, let's handicap the series here. Do the, do the Kings have a chance? Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of the fact that the Kings are underdogs is more so about the perception of this series than the actual facts of what we've seen during the regular season. The Kings have been pretty much lights out start to finish throughout the season. The Warriors have had huge struggles, especially on the road. But at the end of the day, the Kings haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. Incredibly young team. Really, Harrison Barnes is the only rotational guy that has kind of been in those battles against the Golden State Warriors, who are the defending NBA champions, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Coach Steve Kerr. So Hmm. I think the perception is just young team, 
maybe they were a flash in the pan regular season team, but when the lights are bright in the playoffs and things slow down and things get tight, the veteran Warriors are going to overtake them. So the Kings definitely have a chance. I think game one is going to be critical. Like I said, the Warriors were one of the worst road teams in the NBA this year. The Kings are going to be starting it off in Sacramento. They have to get game one to instill that confidence. I think if the Warriors go in there and take game one, it might get a little dicey for Sacramento. So Kings definitely have a chance, um, but they're not going to get much of the benefit of the doubt because of their franchise's perception compared to who the Warriors are. Okay. Do we know when game one is yet? Have we figured that out? Um, I do not. Maybe on I think it, they're Sunday, still doing the play-in tournament, sure. right? So, okay. Yes. Anyway, stay yes. tuned, Hawkeye. This is your that's your this is your Hawkeye NBA team. So we are just trying to get you primed for this. Check your listings for when they schedule those games. Uh, should be a pretty exciting seven game series uh, against you know the Warriors. You know that's that's pretty uh, pretty fun stuff. All right, coming up next, we'll continue the off season roster movement talk with the Iowa women's basketball program. There is a roster opening. What will Iowa do with it? Plus, they got a new commitment in the class of 2024, which sheds some light on team needs in the future. All that and more next here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, joined by Kennington Smith of the Register. Kennington, we ended that last segment talking about Sacramento Kings, you know, Iowa's NBA team. <laughs> uh, and we uh, teased, uh, you know, when they would be playing that first game. We have the info now. I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. Uh, Saturday night, ABC, 7.30 p.m. Central Time. So uh, tune in. Uh, for that matchup should be really exciting. I see the Kings are favored by a single point, so it should be <laughs> should be really fun just to see how Keegan does. I mean, I mean, record-setting three-point shooter Keegan Murray, uh, rookie record, right in the NBA? Yeah, first Crazy. rookie to yeah, first rookie to hit two hundred threes in one season. So blistering pace he was on this year, and um, not surprising to. Iowa fans or people follow the Big Ten, but definitely more surprising to um, you know the casual NBA watcher. Yeah, for sure, fun to watch there. Uh, let's move into Iowa women's basketball. As promised, the program uh, has dominated our conversations over the past month, and now it's time to dig into that roster a little further. But before we do, we let's focus on somebody who's leaving the roster. Somebody we we knew was leaving the roster. Monica Sanano, the five-year post player, a four-time first-team All Big Ten player at Kennington. Uh, you wrote the story, gets drafted in the WNBA, third uh, rounder, 26th overall to the Los Angeles Sparks. Obviously, it's a great honor to get your name called in the WNBA, but as uh, as you've pointed out, it's really hard to make it. So why don't you uh, outline kind of the task ahead for, for Monica and kind of the honor that it was for her to get picked? Yeah, so to, to start with the difficulties of making a WNBA roster, unlike the NBA that can go up to 15 um, players and two guys on kind of like the G League NBA level. There's only 12 spots for WNBA rosters, so incredibly hard to, to make. On average, about a third of draftees don't make uh, a roster, and it was even higher in 2022, about half, 17 out of 36 made rosters and only two of those were third-round picks. So it just kind of goes to show the, the level of difficulty. It is a really quick turnaround. You said this in um, you know your story about what Monica's doing next. Training camp is starting at the end of this month, 
and the first game of the season is in mid-May. So there's not much time for her to make an impression. She's on a 15-woman roster right now with the Los Angeles Sparks. So it's, a, it's an uphill climb for sure. And this is not just a third-round pick thing. There have been past years in 2020, 2021, and 2022 where top 10 picks, first-round picks, have gotten cut in, in training camp as well. So um, incredibly difficult task. But to your point, only 36 women a year get their name called so the fact that she played well enough throughout her Iowa career and I think she took a huge step forward in the NCAA tournament as well as she played against the caliber of players that she played against Aaliyah Boston who went number one Angel Reese who's going to be a top draft pick in next year's draft um that 16 to 6 average that she put out um I think raised her stock on WNBA radars and allowed her to have this opportunity so obviously we are, we're all rooting for her to, to go out to LA and, and kill it but um, it is going to be a, a bit of a difficult task. Yeah she was hilarious on the Zoom call yesterday she said she's never been to California before and her mom was most excited about Magic Johnson tweeting her so a pretty exciting night uh, in the Sonano household and should point out um, you know she wants to go to med school eventually that's obviously on hold for now and uh, her dad is from Hungary, so she would she really would like to play internationally in Hungary eventually. Um, you know, after the WMEA season, so she has a professional basketball future. There's it's, that's pretty certain. Um, it's just uh, WMEA. It's really hard to hard to make it, as Kennington pointed out. All right, Kennington. Uh, speaking of roster spots, uh, Iowa has an opening now on its 2023-24 roster, as Shatia Wettering has entered the transfer portal. For the Hawkeyes, that leaves Iowa one spot uh, on its uh, roster for next season, and it's it's a spot that uh, folks were excited to probably see happen. Uh, um, you know, Wettering uh, was a light contributor uh, and, and wants to get more playing time elsewhere. She can have three years uh, eligibility if she wants it with the COVID year and a redshirt year already at her, uh, you know, in the bank. So uh, that's... Uh, great for her. Hopefully she finds uh, greener pastures. But what does Iowa need to do now with this opportunity, Kennington, uh, as it, it obviously has an opening um, you know, play, to play with Caitlin Clark as a true senior? Yeah, looking at what Iowa needs to do, obviously the ideal scenario is a high-impact addition that you can insert into the starting lineup. I think there is an obvious void in the front court with Sonano as well as McKenna Warnock exiting the program. But I think that you can make the case that Iowa could use a another dynamic guard, ball handler, point scorer, someone who can create offense for themselves and handle the ball should Caitlin Clark need rest on the bench or if she's in foul trouble. So there's a plethora of names in the portal right now. You wonder if the delay of opening up a roster spot, I say delay kind of tongue-in-cheek because it hasn't been that long, but things move so quickly in the transfer portal other coaches, especially competitive ones at high-level schools, have been able to make inroads with these players in the portal. You wonder if Iowa might be a little bit behind in that regard. So, obviously, you want a high-impact player, but um, I'm of the opinion that if you have the ability to add a starter-level player on this team, uh, they should pursue that full force and you know let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, the... Uh... Yeah, let's back up for a sec before we dig too deep into that because uh, another player has uh, went into the portal over the weekend. Uh, of note, uh, Haley Van Lith of Louisville went into the transfer portal, and I guess there's kind of some some rumblings that that she might end up going to LSU. Um, 
to to join uh, Angel Reese and company down there uh, with Kim Mulkey. Obviously, that would be uh, quite the grouping down there, would it not, Kennington? But uh, regardless, it kind of shows, uh, you know, women's basketball, like transfer portal activity is just kind of on a crazy level right now. And uh, it's not necessarily an area I was comfortable with, but before we get into that, just your thoughts on, on Van Lith, you know, potentially joining, uh, you know, a juggernaut in LSU or wherever she goes. Yeah, I mean, she is um, a star in the game, and the connection there with LSU is Kim Mulkey recruited her very hard when she was at Baylor, and I believe Baylor finished runner-up to Louisville in her recruitment. So there's an obvious connection there and prior relationship, and Alexis Morris, who started for LSU, got drafted the other night, so there is an opening there in that combo guard spot alongside Flo J. Johnson and joining Angel Reese in the front court. So I think proximity to where she played at Louisville, the chance to continue winning at a high level and do so in a starting capacity is all huge selling points. And it will be hard to not imagine LSU going into next year as the back-to-back favorites if they add her to what they have going on down there. Yeah, that's kind of my point bringing that up is, you know, the teams out there are going to be loading up. And we've talked about UConn, too, you know, being back to UConn this year with Paige Beckers coming back. Uh, it's it's a really, really difficult landscape. And so, you know, is Iowa, you know, it, it seems like Iowa is, is kind of on the outside looking in uh, on some of the bigger names in the portal at this point. Uh, Anissa Morrow of DePaul, obviously we've brought up Lauren Betts of Stanford, does not seem like it's going to come to fruition. Um, you know, the uh, Sedona Prince, you know, the six seven girl from Oregon, has already committed to TCU. So things are moving really quickly, <laughs> Kennington. And so I'm kind of with you right now. Um, I don't think it's a it's not the time to just grab somebody to grab somebody. And I don't think Lisa Bluter and Jan Jensen and company would do that. But I do think with this one scholarship opening that with the Caitlin Clark window closing and there's no guarantee she comes back for a fifth year. So we need to at least, you know, consider the fact that this is her last year that Iowa could be, might not be, but uh, you know, get the absolute best player you can, uh, to put with her you can't really I don't feel like I was in a luxury position to bank this scholarship and uh, also as I wrote in my in my piece that uh, it will be in Thursday's paper and, and posted online uh, you know already you know Iowa has some options regarding the Ava Jones scholarship um, you know they have the option to put her on medical uh, they don't have to do that right away necessarily if they don't you know, need another opening. Uh, they also, she also could become a walk-on and, and get her scholarship paid for, you know, with the collective or a booster, whatever. Uh, there are a lot of options there um, for Iowa, you know, but if they do put her on a medical scholarship, um, which I know you guys are all familiar with, with football, it happens all the time. Guys go medical retirement and then they don't count against the 85. Well, that same would happen could happen with Ava Jones, but they don't want to medically retire her, you know, to, they want to make sure, you know, see where she's at, you know, physically, mentally, all that stuff before making that decision. It'd be a little bit crass, I think, to decide that right out of the gate. Um, so, you know, they're kind of working through that, but obviously, you know, her scholarship could, you know, become open at some point, but obviously she would be taken care of here at Iowa one way or another. And if she does get put on a medical at some point, she still can be part of the team as a student assistant, you know, be with the team constantly, even sit on the bench during games, 
just cannot compete and, and practice with the team, Kennington. So anyway, uh, high level player really is kind of where I'm I'm leaning here, and that could be maybe that's you know I have no idea what Lexi Dunarski is is doing from Iowa State, you know, not plugged in with her camp or anything like that, but you know, a player like that too, like a three and uh, you know. Uh, a girl that plays really good defense and can help you in the backcourt. Um, and that, that would be a, a help too. Yeah. As, as we know, as people who work in sports and are fans of sports, unless you're a dynasty and this goes to any sport, unless you're a dynasty team, the window to win a championship is very, very, very small. And if you have the opportunity to go for it in the small window, you have to go for it. So, High impact player is probably the ceiling. I think the floor would be a graduate transfer who is of starter level. Someone who could start if they get beat out, they could be a six, six minute, seven minute rotational piece, but somebody who can come in and contribute something on a, on a one year Mm -hmm. scholarship because if Kaylin Clark decides to go to the WNBA, then that then this addition, their eligibility would be done as well. So not somebody that will be tied to the program, let's say for two years, three years, if they don't pan out, just somebody on a on a one year to kind of go all in, put all the chips in the table and go for it in Caitlin Clark's um senior season. So I think those are probably the the two ends of the spectrum that I'm looking at. But I would expect Iowa's staff to do their due diligence and trying to add talent to a team that can go back to the final four. It's going to be a much, it's going to be difficult next year considering the the level of competition, but there is an opportunity for them to compete for another national championship. And I know they're going to exhaust all avenues before deciding to just come back and run it back with the same team. Yeah, and I I know that the, the portal is, is new to Lisa Bluter. I wrote about kind of the NIL strength that I was gaining in the women's basketball space, you know, because there's a lot of donors out there that want to contribute directly to women's basketball, and you can do that if you write, I think it's a $1,000 check or contribute 100 bucks a month to the Swarm Collective. So there's a lot of options there to, to contribute solely to women's basketball. And I just feel like, you know, you want to be aggressive here, but you'd also don't want to be too aggressive and, you know, just toss that scholarship away. Cause what if somebody, you know, a really top player comes available, you know, a little bit later as a grad transfer or something like that, or, or an opening pops up, um, or I'm sorry, a, you know, player pops into the portal that you're not expecting, or, you know, something could happen, you know, between now and next season, uh, where, you know, you, you pick up a high-level player potentially, and maybe your collective is even in better position to you know act. So, uh, lots of interesting possibilities there. And the reason, though, I think the one-and-done type acquisition would be ideal. You know, unless you're going to get like a Lauren Betts, which it does not seem like that's going to happen. You know, that has a bunch of years available, which you obviously would take. Is because Iowa's 2024 recruiting class, Kennington, is is growing, and it's not done yet. Iowa's up to four players now, and it's 24 class. Uh, Tegan Malegny, uh, a six one uh, ball handler uh, from up in Wisconsin, the Madison area, committed over the weekend. That was a big get for Iowa. She's a top 60 national ESPN player, uh, 24 and a half points a game, 12 rebounds a game, 4.8 assists point per game. 
Uh, she's a, she looks like a really good player. Uh, will kind of play almost that three position for Iowa, uh, kind of the Kate Martin position, six foot one, can handle the ball, bring it up the court if need be, can shoot it, can drive it, can pass it. Uh, really good acquisition there, Kennington. Uh, the other commits in the class already had been uh, Kelly uh, uh, Levin from Solon, 5'9 guard. Taylor Stremlow from Verona, Wisconsin, a 5'10 guard. Probably plays more of that 2'3 role. And then kind of the big fish in the class, Ava Hyden out of the Portland area in Oregon, uh, a 6'4 post, uh, a long-awaited, uh, you know, tall, difference-making post, uh, number 36 in the ESPN 100 so uh but they're still looking for a point guard in that class and not knowing what caitlin clark's going to do you know there's a little bit of trouble attracting that person so it's kind of a good problem to have i guess but that's kind of where things stand and they could end up with five 2024 commits kennington so again space is kind of limited right now for the hawkeyes yeah and i think what was standing out about everything that you just said was the level of talent that they're starting to bring in. Obviously, Kayla Clark was five-star, top five player, but they're regularly getting these top 100 prospects. They're building that, that talent on the roster. So you have the ability to go and get another priority 2024 recruit who maybe down the line this year, they continue to watch Iowa. The, the interest starts to grow. Maybe they can get in there and get another top 60 level player. So if you want to hold that scholarship for that reason, I completely understand it. I think another thing to consider here about the the point guard in that need, I think that if Caitlin Clark decides to go to the WNBA, that I was going to be in a great position to grab somebody from the transfer True. portal of a high level. I mean, think of Haley, like a Haley Van Lift, like whoever the equivalent to her would be in next year's transfer portal. They enter the portal. Iowa, Lisa mm-hmm. Bluter, they can go to her and say, look what we just did with Caitlin Clark. Like we can just hand you the keys to this system, this offense, went to the national championship. Let's say Iowa goes to the elite eight final four next year, high level team. That would be a huge, huge, huge selling point. So if it doesn't happen in the 24 class, I definitely think that they're going to be in a prime position to get the top guard available in a transfer portal going into next offseason. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, a couple of players that I was keeping an eye on, Britt Prince, uh, number 16 overall player in the country, 5'11 point guard out of out of Nebraska. Uh, she's, uh, I think she's, a, um, you know, one of the top players ever in Nebraska. Uh, also on the radar would be Jordan Poole. She's the number 55 in the ESPN's top 60. Uh, she's out of Indiana, a little smaller, 5'8". And then uh, here's a name of, of kind of interest that I was kind of in, in pursuit of as well as Aaliyah Guyton, uh, the daughter of former Indiana star A.J. Guyton. Uh, she's from Peoria, Illinois, and had a really strong junior season. So point guard options are out there, Kennington. But again, I think the whole conversation is to me like – got to be selective at this point you have so few roster spots available now over the next several seasons you know obviously it's going to open up at some point once you know all these good players leave but um you know there's uh you know you have to be on the money uh in in bringing in the players that you want um you know for this women's basketball team to join caitlin clark so anyway good conversation kennington thank you very much Uh, coming up next iowa football now enters the home stretch of spring ball already 
what we've learned so far, what we still need to learn, coming up next here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register leading the way to the finish line at 7 o'clock. Kennington Smith, let's finish up with some Iowa Spring football talk, but before we do, I guess we should probably mention that the Big Ten has a new commissioner to replace Kevin Warren. His name is Tony Petiti. Uh, interesting background, Kennington. Um, not really like a collegiate background, uh, like MLB, uh, you know, top executive, uh, was an executive at CBS, ABC, and NBC during his career, oversaw the launch of MLB Network, and now uh, recently um, was kind of in charge of a prominent video game and esports company called Activision Blizzard, Inc., which I've never heard of, but uh, maybe many of you out there have. Uh, interesting hire, Kennington. I guess it just tells me that you know, more than anything, college sports is is the entertainment business nowadays. We kind of saw that with the Pac-12 commissioner hire a couple years ago. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I mean, I want compelling matchups. I want I want drama. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I'm all about it. Yeah, one hundred percent. To your point, very business minded television entertainment. It seems very much that the Big Ten wants to position themselves to where they're going to continue to be at the forefront of television, of entertainment, of financial gain for their member schools. And this seems like a person who can lead them into that next era. And I am familiar with Activision. Um, You've heard of Call of Duty, right? Yes. Call of Duty, Guitar Hero. Okay. Candy, Candy Crush, Crash Bandicoot. Oh, yeah. I'm a Candy Crush guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Major League Gaming, I mean, it's a giant in the video game space. So, um, I know there's been a lot of speculation about the college football video game coming back. I'm sure there's going to be some type of licensing deal with different schools, players, etc. So, somebody who can navigate through this next part of the integration of collegiate athletics and the business side of sports, I do think this is somebody that fits into that mold. Hey, good analysis there. Better than I could have offered there. And you gave me a, you gave me a little education on Activision Blizzard, so nicely done. <laughs> um, speaking of information, Iowa football info, kind of hard to come by this spring. Nothing, you know, it's it's been kind of a low key spring, especially with the Iowa, you know, women's Final Four run uh it's really been overshadowed um for the most part and honestly don't see a lot of people complaining about the lack of coverage because we've been you know all about the women's basketball team for so long now um you know one thing that has been missing though this spring kennington is assistant coach interviews um, we've normally at least in the last several years either on this radio show or in press conferences gotten access to iowa football assistant coaches not the case this spring. We have not gotten any assistant coaches, uh, so we don't have like position by position insight um, so far. So I guess that's been a little bit disappointing. I know that was a, a Kirk Ferentz decision, kind of just uh, pulling back uh, access just a little bit there. Um, so I guess maybe just uh, from your perspective, I guess you know how much information do you feel like we're kind of missing still at this point from spring football? 
Yeah, I think we're missing a, a good amount because the coaches are the ones who can really give you insight into what they're looking for at certain positions and maybe who are some players that are notable that are rising their stock during spring practice. I do understand the decision, though, because last year was so polarizing and it felt like everything that coaches said, whether it was Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, an assistant on the offensive staff, maybe even on the defensive staff, it was just so radioactive that they're trying to prevent something like that from happening this spring, especially a spring that is so critical to what's going to happen this upcoming fall. And if you're looking at it from the coach's perspective, it probably is for the best, especially on the offensive side because of the amount of injuries that they've had and uh, maybe the tough line of questioning that would have came with that in the offensive changes. So I think that, you know, the spring game is going to give us a pretty good glimpse into where the team is at right now and which players are making moves on the, the depth chart. But from a media, and I'm sure from a fan perspective as well, it is a little disappointing that uh, we're not getting the full picture right now. Well, we will get coordinators next week. So that's next Thursday, eight days from now. So we will get to hear from um, LeVar Woods, Phil Parker, and Brian Ferentz. So first time we'll have talked to him since the 25 points per game uh, contract stipulation. But uh, let's so let's go through at least defense and offense here, Kennington. What do you want to hear? What do you want to learn most from Phil Parker, first of all, next week? I want to know. Yeah, I want to know about what's happening with the depth in the secondary because one of the last times that we saw Iowa play, Cooper DeGene was injured in the Nebraska game, and that was one of, if not the main catalyst for why they lost that game and missed out on going to the Big Ten Championship. So who are the guys behind Cooper DeGene, Jamari Harris, at cornerback? Who are the, the players uh, in the back end at safety who are stepping up and how do they feel about their depth right now? Because Iowa has great frontline starters. They had great line, line starters last year, but depth was a concern last year. I wonder if it's a concern this spring. And of course, uh, yeah, if, um, you know, Brian Ferentz will be, you know, star of the show next week, uh, so to speak. Kind of curious just what he has to say about uh, this offense and, I'm, you know, uh, got a little bit of a glimpse from some of the players last week that, yeah, there are tweaks to the offense. Uh, there, and that's kind of where, you know, you, obviously they're not going to give away what they're doing exactly, and and you know, wouldn't expect them to. But it seems like it's traditional Iowa football with a twist, maybe you know, putting guys in positions to get them the football, and then of course. Um, you know, the quarterback position, Cade McNamara, how is he looking? How confident are they that he's going to be able to do everything they need? And I, I think it's fair to, to also, and this won't be, you know, I think it's more of the outside conversation, but, and it's fair to wonder, you know, even if I was says like, yeah, well, we got, we really love our quarterbacks. Like we haven't been convinced that they know how to evaluate quarterbacks yet. Yeah. Uh, I, go, I go back to last year when you say that and the conversation was last spring, how do we as coaches get Joe Labus on the same level or comparable to Alex Padilla and Spencer Petras? And then follow that up during the bi-week availability, and the answer was he's made little to no progress in that area. So what's the status of the quarterback room this spring? Joe obviously took a big step forward in bowl practice, but how is he built on that momentum? How is Deacon Hill assimilated into the offense and then to your point, where is Kay McNamara at? So that quarterback development piece has been a big 
uh, talking point amongst that position group. So want to know where that aspect is, is that currently this spring? Yeah. So, you know, the feedback on Cade so far from players, um, again, we're talking to players, not coaches, but it's obviously been very receptive and very, very good. Uh, leadership traits are, are definitely uh, complimented the most thus far, but but also the football skills, the accuracy, kind of his ability to throw guys open. Deontay Vines spoke to that last week, Kennington. Um, so, I mean, encouraging things you want to hear. Obviously, you know, if you're if you're a Hawkeye fan and you got to have the quarterback's position correct, and if you do, I think you like your chances to win the Big Ten West, honestly, uh, with the defense that Iowa has. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see, you know, can Iowa put, you know, its quarterback in a position to succeed uh, as an offense? Uh, we will see. But, you know, not a lot of confidence there after such, uh, you know, a dismal offensive showing the last couple of years. Kennington, uh, we did talk to two position groups last week, so let's get into that a little bit more. Uh, one position group we talked to is a huge question. The other position group we talked to might be the strength of the team, offensive line and tight ends. Where do you want to start? Yeah, with, um, we can start on the offensive line. I think that's, you know, where the the majority of the interest is at right now from a certain perspective, I would say. Yeah, go for it. What did uh, you learn? You talked to more O-linemen than I did. Yeah, so the big takeaway that I had is kind of where Logan Jones is at. Um, I always enjoy speaking with him, and I'm sure you do as well, because of how candid he is. I mean, he's going to shoot it straight. And he said that last year – a lot of it was him just trying to memorize certain things instead of really understanding what he was supposed to do and why he was supposed to do it. And that led to a lot of the pre-snap issues, snap misfires, whatever the case may be. This year, he's been working with teammates. He's been working with George Barnett. He's been working with James Ferentz, who's back in Iowa City, um, training during the offseason about conceptually understanding what he's supposed to do within Iowa's offense and he seems a lot more confident in what he's supposed to do and I think that in itself is going to be a big step in his development because he's going to be one of the bigger reasons why the offense takes a step forward a lot of conversations been about the quarterbacks and receivers and the tight ends but him specifically has to be near the top of, of the list of somebody who has to take a step forward so that's that's the main thing that I learned and um, I learned that the offensive line is getting a little bit healthier. He also said that they had about six guys to start spring practice, which is an incredibly jarring number. But guys have started to get back into the fold. Connor Colby is one of them. And seems like the offensive line is getting a little bit healthier. Has that translated into the group turning the corner? We're not going to know that until the, the spring game. That'll be our first glimpse. But those are some of the main takeaways that I had talking to that group. Yeah, great point on Logan Jones, and I, I still I feel really optimistic about him just because he was kind of handpicked by Kirk Ferentz to be that next center, you know, uh, probably got carried away, you know, out in the space here with, uh, you know, the next Tyler Linderbaum. I mean, there's really, you know, no replacing Tyler Linderbaum. I mean, like the Remington Award winner basically, uh, you know, steps into the NFL uh, you know, as as a rookie and is is one of the best centers in the game. So to kind of expect that, uh, especially after you change jerseys, I think was kind of natural, but also you know a little bit unrealistic. But I like I I think I you have to give Kirk Ferentz a ton of uh, of faith here that uh, he's going to get this center position right. It wasn't great last year, but yeah, Logan just seems like uh, 
he just seems like he's he's wired the right way, built the right way, physically gifted. Uh, I think it's going to go a lot better this year at the center position. Only a couple minutes left, Kennington. Uh, tight end-wise, I mean, this cannot be more impressed with Luke Lachey and Eric All from my end. I just think this is gonna, these are going to be two of the best players on this team. They both play the same position. Yeah, this the the fan Hawkinson comparisons when you see them side by side I mean these are two physically <laughs> impressive yeah. guys like they look like first round players they look like day one day two type prospects and Eric All would be a day one day two guy if he was healthy last year at Michigan this is a high level tight end we saw what Luke Lachey did and by all accounts he's continuing to take steps forward so receiver is a question mark but Iowa has two outstanding tight ends that I think they're going to be able to lean on both in the past and helping in, in run support. So Iowa's a tight end-centric offense. We know this is tight end you, and there's two on the roster right now that are primed to have um, you know all Big Ten level seasons. They're certainly all Big Ten level players. The statistics will kind of bear out where they are accolades-wise, but these are two really high-level guys that fans should be excited about. Well, and you have to think that, you know, Cade McNamara with no real healthy receivers is building a lot of rapport with both of these guys. He obviously knows Eric All and has played with Eric All, you know, for years and now, uh, you know, gets to walk into, you know, having Luke Lachey, who's, who I think is going to be tremendous uh, this season for the Hawkeyes. Kennington, uh, we only got about 30 seconds left. The portal uh, opens Saturday for football. Um, big, big period for Iowa. Has to get a couple wide receivers. Um, give me your 15-second take on that. After go get wide receivers, Iowa cannot sell statistics, but they can sell a lot of snaps. So if you're in the portal, probably because you're not playing a lot, you can sell coming to Iowa, getting a lot of snaps, and potentially competing for a Big Ten championship. That's my sales pitch. There you go. And uh, certainly um, there should be you know, some available options uh, coming aboard, and certainly I will be needing to go get some, and NIL should help in that regard as well. All right, thanks, Kennington, uh, very much. We will be back next Wednesday night. Tons to talk about next week as we preview the spring game. We probably talk more roster movement in basketball. We'll let you know how the B.J. Mack visit, visit went. And then, uh, of course, the NFL draft coming up very, very soon with a lot of uh, Hawkeyes potentially in day one and day two. Uh, tons, tons more uh, coming up next week here on Hawk Central. For Kennington Smith, this is Chad Lystico saying so long and good night.